Hello, friends, and thanks for listening to the Capital City Soccer Show, your independent source for everything Austin FC. On today's show, we're going to talk about the addition of Matt Beasler to the team, and we're also going to talk a little bit about the ever-crowded senior roster and how many spots we actually have left on that senior roster. Uh, we also have an interview with the one and only Alexi Lawless, who uh, discussed with us his views on the state of Austin FC as well as kind of the state of MLS in general. My name is Landon Cottom. I'm joined, as always, by Mr. Jeremiah Bentley. Hey, everybody. I'm Jeremiah Bentley. Um, Landon, we had a very unique occurrence in Austin today in that it snowed pretty much all day long. Did you guys get out in it? Yeah, we took one little walk out in the snow, and uh, because it like rained first, it was very wet on the ground, and so we took our dog with us, and by the end of it, he was like soaked and shivering, and so we didn't stay out in it very long, but... Uh, we we did walk by our neighbor's house who had built like these beautiful snowmen and took pictures with their snowmen. So we like got the snowman picture, but didn't actually have to build one. Have to do the work. I like that. <laughs> so we did. We yeah, this morning we did that a little bit. We took the dog out and he really hated it because it was super wet. But then it kept, you know, it kept snowing and kept snowing. Um, so at first we built this tiny little snowman. It was maybe like a four inch tall snowman. Um, and then it kept snowing. We built like a two foot snowman. And then we went to the, uh, eventually we went to the the park by the school where the kids go to school um, with a bunch of the neighbor kids and built like a real life-size, like the first real life-size snowman I've ever built in my life. So that was, that was a pretty cool experience, you know, for the day um, that kept going on. And it was very, it was a very unique Austin thing. And I saw that the, uh, I think the Stewers, you're recently in from New York City. We're not super oh, yeah. excited <laughs> about that, about that weather today, but it was great for us. Yeah. So, uh, did, did you get snow growing up? Is it era? Is that what your town is called? It's a long E, um, era, era, era. I don't, I don't know why, but we, it was North of Dallas, Fort Worth. So it was probably twice a year. It was just about, for me, it was just about right. You get one or two good snows a year and then you'd have to deal with it all the time. Um, but for the boys, this was a very unique experience. And you, you're yeah. further north, right? So you got yeah up in regular. the Panhandle, we would get it several times a year, and like sometimes even into like I remember like spring breaks in March where we were we we had snow on the ground sometimes randomly. So it was like a regular occurrence, but it didn't always stick for very long. And so like a good like snowman snow was wasn't a regular occurrence. So I, I'm still pretty excited about it when it happens. Yeah, one of my weirdest work experiences was one of those. We have we had an office in Lubbock. We have an office in Lubbock. And we flew into Lubbock and we got one of those like spring break snows and we couldn't get out and we were stuck for like 11 hours in the Lubbock airport. And this is, <laughs> there's not a lot in the, there's like one bar in the Lubbock airport and it's a bunch of insurance company executives like overwhelming that bar. And we just, that plane was a mess. Like it was a good thing I was t- taking a cab home because we like drank for 12 hours straight because so nothing else to do. It's like, it's not an interesting airport to be in either. And you can walk from one end to the other in like five minutes or so. Yeah, there, there wasn't a lot to it. So, okay, so that's the, uh, what is it? It's an international airport too, right? Was it the Dolph yeah. Disco International? Preston, Preston somebody international airport that yeah. I guarantee, I don't know this for a fact, but I guarantee it doesn't fly anywhere internationally. But it could. I, I think like that's theoretically, what they could fly to another country if they really wanted to. All right, let's. Let's jump into some uh, some Matt Beasler talk. How about that? Uh, so you, Austin FC signed uh, signed Matt Beasler last week. Uh, he's a free agent um, from Kansas City. Jeremiah, I think you have a little 
so, some some biographical information prepared. Yeah, if you remember the last show, like we knew that Austin was going to announce a guy basically at the same time the show That's came right. out, and that guy was Matt Beasler. So, yeah, he played twelve seasons in Sporting Kansas City. I was a central defender, uh, won an MLS championship in 2013, three Lamar Hunt U.S. Open Cup titles, five MLS All-Stars, latest one being in 2016. And I think we'll talk a little bit about this because you watched some video today. Um, he started 337 um, appearances across all competitions, played with the national team, which I think is people are, are pretty familiar with. So, I mean, he's got a ton of experience and credentials. Um, the thing being, he will be 34 by the time the season starts. Um, and so you did, you watched, I think you went back and watched some video from him kind of early on and maybe some more recent video of him. And can you talk about what he was as a player then and maybe what he is as a player now and what, what we can all expect? Yeah, so I think in short, he's the same player he's always been, just a little bit slower. Um, so, but I, I'll, as I get into this, I, I I'm not so concerned about the speed as much so uh, typically like in a center back pairing not always but a lot of times you'll you'll have like your destroyer kind of like your guy who's going to be aggressive and go out and win the ball early and kind of attack the ball and you'll have another guy who will sit deep and that one will be kind of the one who's organizing that back line kind of the leader of that back line um Beasler is definitely the second one he's he's not um not the fastest, not the strongest, and he's never been the fastest. And like I said, he's lost a step, but he's never been the fastest guy. He's a very smart player. And so um, really organized, really aware, uh, just a, a quick mind on the field. And so one-on-one -on -one defending, he's really clever, so he, he's not usually not going to like out-athlete like out athlete you, but he's one of those guys that will have really good positioning and at the right moment sticks that foot in and pokes the ball away. Um, he's also really smooth and like safe on the ball. So whenever the ball is at his feet, you, you really trust that he's going to make the right pass or like a good, like he's a, not, not just a safe passer, but a pretty good passer. And then also just when he's carrying the ball, he's, he, he looks natural, like defender, there's like center backs that don't always look natural with the ball at their feet and he's he looks like he's com very comfortable with it and is is pretty good at it so I think those are some of his strengths um he is a like he's the cent the center back that you want in in this kind of system Wolf talks about a like a possession based system we're going to attack he's got all the skills to do that thing my only concern is his age like you mentioned so we just don't really know if uh, at 34, if he's still going to be that same player. Uh, he's, I, I watched, I saw, I looked at his minutes. So his minutes in 2020, he didn't play that much. But looking back, I don't think many of those games were because he just got benched. I know he had a hamstring in, uh, injury and then had a concussion at the end of the season. And so I watched some of his games from just um, clips from his games last year. He still looked good. Um, so I, I think he's still a very quality player. And he's not uh, – he doesn't seem to be injury prone either. So I was kind of worried like, oh, he missed a lot of last season with injuries. But like I said, it was a hamstring. And he, it doesn't look like he's had a lot of hamstring injuries. So he's not Christian Pulisic where he's, he hurts his hamstring every two weeks. It, he's had like a handful of little injuries here and there, but overall he's been pretty healthy over his career. And then the concussion is just kind of like a freak thing as well. So 
I think as long as he can, as he can stay fit and, um, I, 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 I think he's got potential to be really good. And one thing I wanted to bring up as far as, um, something he's going to bring to this team. And I think some people have kind of discounted is what he'll bring to the culture of the team. And so he's one of these players that, um, He's he's works really hard. He's really good at kind of bringing that team together, being a leader in the locker room, a leader on the field. And I listened to uh, Greg Vanny on Extra Time the other day. He was just hired as LA Galaxy's coach, and they had him on. And they asked him, like, what does that mean to you? People talk about building a culture at a team. What does that mean? And and essentially he's saying it's it's what you do every day as a team, not just what you do in those 90 minutes, but what you do every day, making – uh, and he, he mentioned Michael Bradley, who was the leader of his team in Toronto for a long time. Um, first to show up, last to leave, being a leader in every aspect of the game in that day-to-day work and then also on the field during the 90 minutes. Beasler's that kind of guy. And so when you're talking about building that culture at a new team, something that you could arguably say like Miami, a new team this year, didn't do. Um Looking at their roster, they have a, a pretty good team on paper, but they just never were able to put it all together. Um, guys like Beasler, guys like Alex Ring, even guys like Hector Jimenez and Brad Stuver, uh, Ring is is clearly a talent. These other three are kind of question marks, but I think they're all going to bring that um, kind of that X factor that's going to help you build that culture in the locker room and. Maybe that culture isn't going to lead immediately or directly to wins in season one. But when you talk about building that base to build a team on top of, I think a guy like Matt Beasler is going to bring that in spades and is going to be really valuable to that part of the team. Yeah, and one of the things that maybe we talked about on Twitter somewhere is um, what Alex Ring brings to the ability, like having such a nailed-on um central defensive midfielder that can sort of stand in front of that back line that maybe, you know, he can cover for some of the just physical deficiencies that Beasler might have because you've got such a strong position, um, your central defensive mid, and then between the two, between the two other backs, you know, you've got a little bit of that bruiser thing that sort of together, when you look at that system together, and that's a beautiful thing about being able to construct this roster sort of holistically is all the pieces can be greater than the individual parts. And the rest of the back line is is pretty athletic. So Lima is Lima moves well. Uh, I I think Ben. I don't really know how fast Ben Sweat is, but I think he's pretty like sound defensively anyway. And then the other two center backs, whichever of them ends up being the starter, both of them move really well. And so I think Beasler is smart enough and knows knows that he's lost a step and will more times than not be in the right position. And then. Uh, also just like kind of teaching those other guys, like a guy like Romagna, 22 years old, new to the league, having a, a veteran like Beasler standing next to you is going to be just like, it, it's going to be really great for those younger players playing next to someone like that as well. And uh, Beasler's not going to be able to play every game. Uh, I saw an interview last year where he mentioned that, like he's, he's not going to play every game. Just he's, he's at that age where he's, it's not going to happen. And so um, I think, when he's fit, he'll he'll start, and when sometimes when he needs a rest, he'll still be there to kind of be that leader um, in in training and then on the on the bench. Yeah, I know you want to talk a little bit about salary and where we you looked up some comps, but before we do that, I think we would be remiss 
to not talk about his intro video, which was the most unique. Oh, yeah. is <laughs> the greatest. So for those of you that haven't seen it on Twitter, he basically does a minute-long Matthew McConaughey impression. Um, it's, like, it's like a Lincoln commercial. Yeah, yeah it's like a spoof of all those Lincoln commercials, except it's him in a Ford truck. And I would highly encourage you to watch that, um, including, um, I believe it ends with, all right, all right, all right. Or if it doesn't end with it, it's in there somewhere. But it was... It, it it made for an exciting announcement for sure. I was watching it in the first like 15 seconds. I was like, oh, this is kind of dumb. And then like five to 10 seconds later, I was like, all right, this is pretty yeah. good. Because well, he sold there it. A, you know, he could have done like a half, yeah. you know, he could have done like kind of a half job, you know, and you'd be like, oh, I see what he's doing. But he like really leaned into the character. I showed it to to Ashley, my wife, and she pointed out this one moment that I think really like, she was like, this part made... I think like tipped it over the edge to making it really good. And he says like, or you can get in your truck and drive and keep moving forward or something like that. And then it cuts to him and he does like this little finger gun point forward. And like that little finger point, I was like, oh, that was perfect. That was really good. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Why don't you talk about the research um, that you did around how much we can expect to pay him maybe compared to other similar situations? Yeah, so I went and looked at um, free agents, players who are free agents after the 2017 and 2018 seasons. Um, and then because we have access to their salaries from those, those years, right? We don't have we don't have information about 2020 salaries. And so that would have been useful. But we do have access to 2017, 2018, and 2019 salaries from the uh, MLS Players Association releasing those. So um, I was just looking for players who are kind of similar similar profiles as far as age and notoriety goes and seeing like what the difference in their salaries were a year after being a free agent. And so if you look at players like uh, Ozzy Alonso, Benny Fail Harbor, Michael Parkhurst, um, they all took pay cuts, some of them bigger pay cuts than others. Uh, someone like Benny Fail Harbor, I think Benny Fail Harbor, his salary decreased 26% uh, the year that he, I guess it was between LAFC and Colorado. Um, Ozzy Alonso dropped 40%, but he was a, a designated player in uh, in Seattle. And when he went to Minnesota was um, just like, just barely a TAM player. And so that's why the big drop was there. Uh, Michael Parkhurst, I think is a pretty good comparison. Um, Michael Parkhurst kind of, he wasn't on big money anyway, but he was 35 that year. Uh, he took a 12% pay cut. And so all that to be said, uh, another one that I thought was uh, just kind of a fun one to throw in there is Breck Shea. He was on $745,000 in 2018 uh, at Vancouver and then signed with Atlanta for the 2019 season for a 70% decrease of his salary, $225,000. Uh, his his stock dropped, to say the least. But um Oh, yeah, looking at what Beasler's salary might be. So 2019, he was making $783,250. So $780,000 just to kind of round it down. If we did, um, I would guess somewhere between like a 15 to 15 to 30% pay cut just based on his age and the, the fact that he was a free agent and like Kansas City didn't wasn't going to sign him again. Um, so if we did a... 20, a 20% decrease, it would be $626,600. That would put him uh, in the TAM space. Uh, we're definitely not going to make him a designated player. So 
I would guess it's going to be somewhere around six hundred thousand dollars, like just under that maximum salary charge. So we're, we're probably not using Tam on him. Um, so it's it's expensive, but it's not it's not crazy for for someone you know that you kind of know what you're getting in in a lot of ways. So it's a lot of money for for someone that age, but it's also a lot of experience that you're getting for for that money. So. Uh, what? How does that strike you, Jeremiah? What is what does that number sound like? I mean, I think the big to you, the big thing with that number is that's, um, he he's your guy, right? I mean, you're not you you're not going to sign two center backs, you know, on that that amount of money. Like you're expecting him to be to be a leader, you know, on the field. And I I think for people that might be a little bit disappointed by it, I, I think that's a really good indication that for all the reasons that you that you've talked about, you know, leadership and things like that, that he's that he's that he is our big name center back signing, and um, I think there's all the all the thought in the world that he'll live up to it, but um, it's definitely um, a challenge. But it fits with what they've done too. I mean, we really have looked heavily at MLS experience in, in terms of the people that we've that we've heavily invested in, and people understand the league, have been in the league in a while, and sort of work in that system. And he seems like another one that that does that. Yeah, and we talked about FC Cincinnati during our when we were leading up to the expansion draft. And they they got like I think it was four or five guys during that period of time that were all on like four or five hundred thousand dollars. We didn't really do that. Like the guys that we're paying that much are guys who like we know what they are. It's like Nick Lima, Alex Ring, like the guys from within MLS anyway. Like Cecilio, we think he's gonna be good, but he's not played in the league yet, so we don't know. But the guys within the league that we're paying well, we know what we're getting. So I think if you can afford to pay several guys like decently like that, if, if you're not speculating, you're not paying, right? Yeah. Yeah. You're not speculating, speculating. And then a lot of the other guys were, were got pretty cheap. Like a lot of the, like kind of the, the, like just to bulk up the roster, those guys, we got pretty cheap. And so we still have quite a bit of money to work with. And so it may sound high for, for a 34 year old, but it's, I think in the in the context of the full roster build, it's not it's not that bad. Yeah, let's talk about the roster build, and I think a good setup for that is another video. So Adrian Healy released his wait was it a video? Yeah, it was a video. He he, he talked yeah. through, he talked through kind of who we had, and you know I think we probably overanalyzed any name that he referenced um, in it, and so he talked about the keepers sort of collectively um and didn't i mean he talked about tarbell being the favorite but didn't really you know say that he was the out and out starter talked about the back line talked about ring um did not mention another midfielder if i remember right is that correct no he he mentioned alex ring not not as like the he d- he does mention some later in the video but as far as like the core pieces of the team i mean unless you're counting to um Fagundes, he mentions Fagundes and Cecilio after that. But as far as like in the central midfield, it's Ring, which is true. He's really the only central midfielder we have on the team right now. Yeah, but it, it's, so it's interesting to think about that. So he ends up talking about I think eight or nine different players as starters, which I would believe that that we that's where we can expect the DPS to come. But from among the people he didn't talk about, what did you think about the fact that Stroud and Gallagher were like the two? Um, you know, lesser known players. It sort of got specific call outs from Adrian. Yeah, I think, I think those two are like, I, you, you like try to see if you can read anything into these, 
like a video like this. And I, I, I liked how candid it was where he was like, and it, it's probably true. Like, yeah, we've got these three keepers. We don't know who the starter is, which is probably the case. It's not like Josh is keeping you a secret who our starting goalkeeper is going to be like, yeah, it's probably Tarbell, but they'll get into camp and we'll find that out. But it gives, I think one thing that is interesting is they kind of mentioned Fagundes in that, like those those key starter guys, which I think it means that they're hoping for him to be, if not a starter, then a regular um, regular contributor and like in that starting rotation. Uh, but yeah, you, they mentioned Stroud and Gallagher. I think those two guys are, they're, they're guys who did contribute in this last season for their teams, kind of out of nowhere. Like they were very low salary players. Um, both uh, Stroud was with uh, Red Bull 2, the previous season just got signed to the first team contract uh, this year. And then um, uh, Gallagher was like on loan and played with uh, Atlanta too, and then came in and had a really good season for Atlanta. So I think they're two guys that, um, that people may not know their names, but I think they will, they're going to get chances. And I think they do both have a chance to, to kind of make an impact. So I thought it was interesting that, that he brought them up and I don't think that means those guys are going to start. I think it, it means that they're going to get chances and that we, we expect them to at least one of them to, to maybe make, make an impact on the team. Yeah. And those, so those two guys were guys that one might think would possibly be supplemental roster players, but they, one would think, one would think, but they aren't <laughs> because apparently one of the things about the expansion draft is anybody you take in the expansion draft has to be on the senior roster. So how many players do you think we have on the senior roster and what does that mean to you? Yeah. So we get 20 players. We have 20 spots for the senior roster. Um, we have 17 players right now and it's very likely that all 17 of our players right now will be on that senior roster, which is a little bit, a little bit scary, right? Like we're saying like, okay, we have seven or eight starters right now. Uh, and we only have three senior spots to fill in the rest of those starters and like our bench. That's a little bit unnerving. So uh, you look at someone like uh, Gallagher, actually. He, so Stroud was taken in the expansion draft, so he would have to be um, he has to have a senior spot. Gallagher was actually uh, traded. Oh, that's right. Uh, we yep. traded Gam for him. So depending on what his um, his salary is, if he's like on minimum salary, we could put him in a supplemental spot. But if he's making more than that, we don't really know what he's making. And so I'd, I'd say there's a good chance that he's going to be on uh, on the senior roster. Another one that we looked at is uh, Brad Stuver. He was on $100,000 last year, um, which would put him on the senior roster. If he's so, like, for some reason, got a like took a pay cut and is making like senior minimum, he could be in a supplemental spot. But I think there's a very good chance that all 17 of these players are going to be on that on the senior roster, which means we have three spots to fill. Um, one thing to keep in mind is the, the super draft is coming up and more than likely all the players we take in the super draft are going to be in that supplemental roster. So those are players who could uh, could contribute and even be regular, regular make regular appearances on the field, uh, but would be in supplemental spots. But it's it's an interesting an interesting thing to look at with how few spots. Not to mention we have is it four or five international spots? Uh, yeah, it'd be five still, right? International spots. Yeah, we still have five. It's it's the three Guarani 
guys that have taken the international spots. So we have five international spots left, three senior roster spots. And so that'll be an interesting thing to to keep an eye on is like, what are we going to do with those? Uh, Nashville has sold one or two of their international spots for for pretty good money. So I don't know if, if that's something that we'll be interested in doing, but um, someone pointed out, I think it was, was it Trey Bucci in Slack the other day pointing out that a lot of the players available in the uh, super draft are actually international players. And so maybe we'd be giving an international spot to one of these players on the supplemental roster uh, because they've been going to school here. That might be kind of a faster track to a green card for them as well, which means they wouldn't stay. They wouldn't take up that international spot for very long if we could get them on the path to a green card. Uh, But yeah, just kind of the, that, that part of the roster build is going to be interesting to watch over the, the next few weeks for sure. Yeah, that, that part seems like a little bit uh, of a squeeze. Yeah, I looked around, and I think teams have had between like six and maybe ten international spots, depending upon, like on the rest of the league, depending upon who it either acquired or or traded spots. But, um, I mean, I'm, there's a plan. It's all coming together, right? We Context is the <laughs> we, word we, we keep, hope. keep using. We hope. <laughs> and that's it. Yeah, the, I, Scott was the guy I was trying to think of that that would seem like he could be would normally be like a supplemental roster player, but because he was selecting the expansion draft was, would have to be, um, would occupy a senior spot. Exactly. Yeah. And he's, he's someone that you think probably will be making league minimum or close to it. Um, but yeah, he has to have a senior spot because we took him in that draft. So that, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll keep an eye on it and let you, let you all know whenever we know more, but, um, let's talk about the season opening a little bit. So, we talked about this on the last show, but uh, on Allocation Disorder, the newest episode, um, Paul and Sam talked about the possibility of training camps getting delayed and kind of how kind of the the renegotiating of the CBA might affect that. So they, they essentially said if if camp gets delayed and there's also CBA talks going on, these players probably aren't going to want to go be working and being in training camp while they're also negotiating the collective bargaining agreement. So uh, depending on how all that shakes out, it could, it could kind of throw a, uh, a kink in, in preseason plans. Yeah. I can imagine they're not going to be really excited about hanging out and training and possibly getting injured. Right. I mean, it's, it's a job, right. It's their business. And if they had some security, I'm sure they would be a little more lenient, but if they're in that negotiation, they're probably not going to be, um, the other thing, I think this was in an article on The Athletic, um, is the clubs overall seem to be generally in the dark um, about the start of the league, and you know, including front office types. Um, one of the things that I thought was interesting about why the league would maybe start on time is if the pandemic response continues to be bad and the COVID rollout is slow and stadiums aren't going to open until late summer anyhow, then the league feels like they might as well just go ahead and get it started. Like there's no advantage to waiting for the starting date if they're not going to be open right. with full stadiums, yeah. which is the first empty stadiums in the spring or empty stadiums in the summer. What's the difference? Yeah, exactly. So um, I think we don't know what what this all means, but I, I think we can sum it up is that, is that it would be a surprise if the season did start in early March. Yeah. And, th- and that means like the, the other question is, so right as of right now, what we heard is that preseason camp is supposed to start at the end of January. And I think uh, it was Peter Vermes said in an interview the other day that uh, Kansas City is planning on starting February 1st. And so like 
they're they're planning and apparently he's told his players that they're planning to be there February 1st. Uh, if the season gets pushed back, does that mean preseason camp gets pushed back as well? Like, would they just have an extra long preseason camp or would they tell the players to take a little bit of a rest? I don't know what that would look like either. So uh, as as has been the, the case for the last year, everything's kind of up in the air and we'll just have to, to see how it shakes out. Yep. Yeah, I think so. So I think this is a good spot to maybe uh, set up our interview. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll take one uh, a quick little break, and then uh, we're gonna come back with Alexi Lawless. So Alexi, uh, he was he was the MC at the Austin FC franchise announcement, and then we actually interviewed him last year on the Austin Anthem uh, podcast for the one year anniversary. And so we thought it'd be nice to have him on again for the two year anniversary and just kind of see. Um, what his thoughts were on Austin FC, how they've changed over the last year and kind of how he sees the direction of the club going. So we'll take a quick break and we'll, we'll be right back with Alexi Lawless. The Capital City Soccer Show is brought to you by, you guessed it, our friends at FVF Law, the official injury lawyers of Austin FC. FVF is a different kind of personal injury law firm. Uh, they're dedicated to community, transparency, and client education. You can find out more about what makes FVF different and why understanding your legal options can dramatically change the outcomes of a case at fvf.law. That's fvf.law. I ain't got no time to let you We are joined by the one and only Alexi Lawless. Alexi, thanks for joining us, man. Good evening, uh, gentlemen. I'm coming to you from uh, Los Angeles here. I hope uh, you and yours are staying safe and sane as we head into 2021, which hopefully, you know, good things or better things on and off the field for everybody out there. Yeah, it's it's uh, a little bit ap- apocalyptic in Austin today in the fact that it's uh, been snowing all day. We got like several inches of snow today. <laughs> Now, is is, uh, is Austin a place, and I know I've been there and I've visited, but I certainly don't uh, have the background that you do. Is that a place there where all hell breaks loose when something like that happens uh, oh, because absolutely. of the rarity? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, yeah it never happens. So oh, it's, okay. people go crazy. But there's lots of lots of snowmen on my uh, on my Twitter and Instagram feeds today. So it was a, a much happier place on the internet than it has been for the last week or so. I, I have uh, I have uh, kids. I have a 15-year-old and a 12-year-old and they're they're Southern California kids. And so they have this fascination with snow and the cold um, and they romanticize <laughs> it. And I try to explain them. My, my wife and I, we grew up in Michigan. And so I try to explain that, you know, the snow is all great when it first comes down and it's fun and it's beautiful and it's clean and you can make, snow, you know, snowmen and do all that kind of stuff. And then about three months in, when you haven't seen the sun for uh, any length of uh, period, it gets real old really, really fast. But they still romanticize it and uh, um, will until they actually get to a place where they are living uh, uh, day to day when it comes uh, when it comes to snow. But Austin's not like that. <laughs> no, we're good. So mine are 11 and 9. And we had talked about taking them. They, they wanted to see real snow. And so we had talked about going to Colorado or New Mexico or something. And after two hours of snow today, they're like, Daddy, never mind. We're good. Like, this is, <laughs> this is exactly all the snow we needed in our lives. Let's get warm. All right. So, Alexi, you um, you hosted the Austin FC franchise announcement. And so we're approaching the two-year anniversary of that. We interviewed you 
a year ago on the Austin Anthem podcast, which was the the podcast that Jeremiah and I were hosting at that point in time. So approaching the two-year mark, we wanted to get you on again and, and get your thoughts on all the things that have changed and kind of your your thoughts and opinions on Austin FC in the last year. So um, let's just, going back to that announcement, are there any particular memories that you have from that day that have kind of stuck with you? I'm the unique part of it. I mean, I've done a bunch of announcements um, uh, and, you know, these uh, these celebrations, if you will, over the years and for, for different clubs, big and small. And each one takes on its own life uh, and its own characteristic of the con- of the culture and of the you know the people that are there. And this one was was really unique in the way that it came down. Obviously, in the setting, uh, I thought not not being you know incredibly having an incredible background when it comes to what Austin is. Um, I, I thought that at least from my perspective as an outsider coming in, it did a lot to uh, to maintain and to pay tribute to what Austin has been, is, and is going to be in the way that they did it. I remember talking to Don Garber after it, and he said that that was unlike anything. And he's done a whole lot more than I have, certainly. And so just the unique aspect of it and the celebration, the excitement, um, the uh, the cooperation, uh, and the understanding that this was going to be something that was uh, that was your own, but it also was going to be something that you didn't necessarily have to be a, a huge soccer fan to enjoy and come to appreciate and the branding uh, and the excitement about what was to come and the infrastructure that now we've seen a couple of years on that's come all of those different things. But, you know, at the time, I, I think it was just an energy and a real positive and um, cautiously optimistic type of view, both from in, internally and everybody that, uh, that was there and those of us externally that were coming in. Yeah, I have a. I just looked down at this and it reminded me of this. But I have a funny little memento of that day. Um, There, I was standing on like kind of the front row playing a drum during the announcement, and there was a a photo taken by the Austin Chronicle that ended up kind of making it was every Austin FC announcement that happened. That photo ended up getting put on everything, and some enterprising spirit uh, in in Italy took that photo and made a mouse pad out of it and started selling it on Amazon. And so I actually bought, uh, I'm showing Alexi on the camera here, those of you who are listening, but uh, it's a mouse pad of myself at the, the Austin FC announcement. That's <laughs> it's just awesome. the, weir- that's the awesome. weirdest thing I've ever found on the internet. So I had to, uh, I had to buy myself one, but that's, that's, uh, I think about that day every day because of this mouse pad. But. Wow. Wow. <laughs> well, it was so um, much fun to, you know, kind of talk to you guys and to everybody there and to see all the different pathways that led everybody to that moment uh, and all the different diverse type of pathways that ultimately, and I guess that's what makes it such a unique city and such a unique uh, culture there. And that was on display. Absolutely. Like, like I said, from someone from the outside, it became very, very apparent, very, very quickly, uh, the unique aspect of this. And look, that's not to, to downplay or, or, or to poo-poo anything that's going on anywhere else. They all take on a life of their own. Like I said, and they all take on that character and that personality. And it was very, very clear to me what that character and personality was of, of Austin. And they've just kind of kicked on in everything that's been done. Uh, I think they've done a really, really good job in the rollout over the last couple of years. Uh, you know, obviously we talked about the infrastructure in the stadium and, you know, we'll talk a little bit about the, about the players, but um, you know, they haven't kicked a ball yet, 
and yet I think they've done a really, really good job of becoming relevant. And I, I use that word a lot because it's so important and uh, you only get you know, one chance for that first impression and whether it's the introduction of the, of the brand uh, a couple of years ago, whether it's the stadium, obviously, whether it's the team, all of those things are to come, but so far so good. So um, looking back at the, the two years since then, um, and kind of the, the roster build that's taken place over the last several months. What is your impression of the, the roster build so far? And then do you have any predictions about what they'll do with those remaining two designated player slots? Yeah, I mean, so look, everybody will tell you that there is a, a kind of a template and a roadmap. And there is. Uh, you'd, you'd be dumb and Claudio and company would be dumb not to look at what others have done uh, and to recognize that you can pick and choose and if you try to go your own way, and we've seen some of that happen, uh, it can very, very quickly come back to bite you. And it goes back to what I said, where you, you only get that, you know, that one chance at, at making that first impression. Um, MLS, more than any league in the world, bends over backwards to enable you to be competitive right off the bat. And for expansion teams, with the money that you uh, that you get with that knowledge um, and the best practices that have come before. So, for example. Um, you know, a, a Walker Zimmerman to uh, to Nashville. That was strategic. And even at the time, people were screaming, yelling about the money. And, and a lot of people will talk about building up the spine. And I know, uh, you know, the, the Matt Beasler is not a Walker Zimmerman type of signing, but there's still MLS experience. And you look at a team like Nashville and the way that that was built. And look, that's not that's not the be all and end all. But they did a good job of at least being competitive. And for any expansion team, that is the first order of business: be competitive. Now, there's others that come in and say, we're not just going to be competitive. We're going to be competitive for MLS Cup. And there's others that say, you know, this is going to be a slow type of growth. And we want to at least make sure that each and every time that people come out and watch us play, we will be competitive in a league that, like I said, bends over backwards to make you competitive. So, you know, when I look at, at, at these from a goalkeeper's perspective, no one's going to jump off the page as to this is a game changer, but that's okay. You get solid uh, MLS goalkeepers, not really starters necessarily. And so you might want to upgrade there. Uh, we talked a little bit about uh, Matt Beasler, Sweat, Lima. These are guys with the MLS experience. They understand exactly what the league is about. They also understand what the league has been about over the last year. And it's going to continue whether we like it or not for a little bit here. So that's important. Um, you know, the uh, the Alex Ring signing, I think, was really important. Maybe maybe that's the Walker Zimmerman type of signing that uh, uh, that they had. Um Diego Fagundes, I mean, look, who, who knows what he is? He's played 10 years in the league. He's been, been around since he's a teenager, and yet he hasn't taken that next step that I think a lot of people thought he was going to take, and maybe he just needs a change, change of scenery. Maybe you find a way to make him, uh, have him uh, with that next step. Uh, Danny Hosen's, you know, a guy that had, uh, you know, a, a good year uh, and, and was a good MLS type of goal scorer. Can he refine some of that uh, type of thing. Uh, but you mentioned the, you know, the DP, I don't know a whole lot about Cecilio um, and you, your DPs have to show up. We saw it time and time again, especially in the playoffs here, the money that you spent has to be used wisely and your DPs have to show up and it, they got room to do some other things. And I'm sure they're going to do some things, but so far so good in that I can look at this, this foundation here and see a team that can at least be competitive. Cool. Um, I want to talk a little about the business side of things, which you which you touched on. Um, so it seems like from our perspective that they've done a great. The stadium's gone well. They've you know, from from the Austin side of things, it seems like they've done everything right in terms of building that out and building local excitement and building sponsorships up and stuff like that. But what does that look like from sort of the outside 
what perspectives do y'all have? Um, you know, both from the sponsorship side and then just, just like the, the front office build and the construction of the whole system. Uh, you know, it, it was interesting because my, uh, my son got a Yeti, um, what did he get? He got, uh, he got a Yeti, something made by Yeti. Uh, and, uh, cause that's the sponsor, right? That's the, uh, the, the, the Jersey sponsor, the Jersey. right? Uh, you know, that, I think the way that they rolled that out and what that company is and, and look, I, I know it's ultimately comes down to a lot of times to money, but the relationships and the partnerships, they call them corporate, corporate partner, partnerships for a reason, because you do want somebody that believes in what you're doing. And that you likewise look at that company and say, this is a company that we can be affiliated with and have that partnership to grow so that they're going to help our business and we're going to help their business. So I think that was a really interesting type of partnership uh, partnership there and what they want to do. And, and, this, and specifically, people that want to grow their company uh, and make money, but they want to do it through soccer. And they see that as an interesting way to get in uh, and to you know make something available to you know, a whole new market maybe for, uh, for people. So, you know, that was, uh, that was interesting. The stadium, look, there's stadium porn and I, I, I show, you know, I look at what's going on and, you know, that roof and, and as it's gone on and the drone shots, all of that kind of stuff is, is wonderful. You can just force feed. I don't have to force feed it. You can just, I'll just open up and you can give me as much of that as possible. So that's really, really cool. Cause that's going to be kind of that cathedral and that temple and that place where everybody goes when we can all get back and, and get together and be in that, communal type of setting so you know that's that's really important ticket sales seem to be uh going well um you know i don't know enough about the the day in and day out business that's going on but look there's a reason why anthony precourt wanted to be in this city and certainly uh he felt that from a business perspective this was a team that could function um and could function at a much higher level and that he could tap into you know the emerging or the existing uh, corporate uh, culture that exists there to give them something different in terms of the money that they spend uh, and the marketing dollars that they spend. So you spent at least some time in Austin. So I think you probably have a, a decent feel for just kind of the general vibe of the city, which is, is like a laid back, just kind of hip place, right? So there's, there's still been kind of a push from some national MLS pundits for Austin FC to kind of like lean into this villain character that, that some people want us to play. And I think we may have even touched on this last year when we spoke, but um, it like for people in Austin, the, like playing the villain just feels so unnatural. Mm. Um, and I, I know that there's going to be some MLS fans who are always going to see us that way. But as far as like, us being that character, like how, how do you see that? And do you think that that's something that like that has changed over the last year or so as far as like Austin being the villain? I mean, I, I don't necessarily, and you would know better than me, but I, I don't necessarily see you being the villain to everybody. I see you being to the villain to Columbus and that's kind of tailor-made and that's, there's nothing you can do about that. And actually I, I, I think you do embrace it and, and you go for it. We all know the history and you know, there's nothing, there's nothing you can do about that. It was decisions that were made and there are repercussions for uh, repercussions for decisions that are made. And, you know, you, you make, uh, you know, lemonade out of lemons and do something like that. But, you know, yeah, you're going to have some people out there when it just comes to uh, general other MLS teams, but I don't think it's going to, I don't think they are going to cast you as the villain. And, you know, the, I, you know, how long can you, how long are you going to be held responsible for 
I don't know, I guess the sins of the father or whatever, you know, I mean, <laughs> the way that we can look at it right now. I don't, I don't, I don't necessarily see that. So I think that'll, I think that'll go away. There, there's an immediate, like I said, there's an immediate rivalry with, uh, with Columbus, but I, I don't see you getting you as the team or supporters of the team getting any more or less flack from anybody else or getting booed when you walk into the stadium based on a history. That's not, let's be honest. Most of the people going to the game aren't going to know anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think there's, there are like some like diehard MLS fans that, although they have no real connection to Columbus, that they almost see it as like you picked on my little brother kind of thing. And so I'm going to like stand up for them. But I think as, as often as you see those kinds of comments online, you see two or three others that are like, Oh, I can't wait for an away day in Austin. And then on top of that, we've just gone out and signed like two or three captains from other teams and then just like all the nicest guys in the league. And so I think it's going to be depending, we'll, we'll see what the rest of the roster build looks like, but depending on what that looks like, like right now, it seems like kind of a hard team, like a hard group of players to hate or be mad at really. Yeah. I mean, and you can, you can certainly succeed and, uh, and do some good things uh, in, in terms of the power of positivity and, and, and good guys out there, but you also need some bastards, you know, you also need some people out there that are going to fight. And look, there, there are the, uh, you know, the, the smiling assassins out there too. I mean, if you ever come across, I don't know, uh, Diego Chara, it's the nicest guy you will ever, ever meet. And he will, uh, if need be, decapitate you on the soccer field. <laughs> so, so it's different when they actually step on the field. But you, you want, you want good people. Um, you want nice people, and and ultimately, I think that's that's more how it's going to play in town and in that community. And that's really what you want because you know these are rivalries, and you you, you don't want everybody to love you. That's that's I don't think that's any way for a, a sports team to uh, to go. And you certainly don't want other teams that you come up against. Uh, gaining an advantage because they feel that you're, and look, just because you're nice doesn't mean you're soft. But if you're if you're both nice and soft, um, you know it can it, it can be a problem. I think we might have our own uh, smiling assassin in training with um, Johan Romagna as a center back that we a Colombian center back that we signed from Club Guarani. Uh, he's he seems like a, a very pleasant person, but he's he's a monster on the field and he'll he'll go through people. So I'm excited to watch him play for sure. Nice. Yeah, and you were talking about the stadium porn stuff, which we all love. But like those guys from Columbus, they you know, every single post from Austin FC, even if it's like, <laughs> here's an overhead, you know, drone shot of the stadium. There's just like twenty awful replies where they, <laughs> they give us a hard time about it. And I find a little of this on Reddit because you know people on Reddit will be like, well, let's not make this manufactured rivalry with Columbus. Let's like have natural rivals rivalries with like Dallas or Houston. Like, I don't care about Dallas or Houston. Like, people from Columbus hate us, and we should like. <laughs> lean into that and, you know, like appreciate that and just make it a part of who we are. I mean, at least early on. Yeah. And, and look, by the way, I was just in Columbus uh, and congratulations to Columbus. And, um, you know, I, I got a tour of the new stadium and that's going to be, that's going to be awesome. At a sun, at some point, Columbus also has to kind of move on. Um, and, and Columbus kind of, because if, if they're constantly hearkening back and if they're constantly, um, you know, for lack of a better word, whining about the past, um, then it's going to get old and people aren't going to want to listen to it in particular. And especially because of the fact that out of all of this grew a bigger, stronger Columbus. 
a much healthier Columbus and certainly a much more successful Columbus in what we've seen recently that's going to move into an incredible stadium with uh, ownership that uh, obviously believes in that in that area. So, you know, if you're if you have all of that, by the way, something that a lot of other teams out there would love to have. Um, if you have all of that and that you're and you're still complaining and whining about uh, something that happened, I get it because it was to them very personal and obviously very serious to them. But at some point, you also have to move on and be thankful for what for what you have and this, you know, the the strange uh, silver lining that appeared, not sil- golden lining for that matter, in terms of what ultimately happened. It wasn't by design, but ultimately it happened, and I think everybody ultimately got what they wanted. Yeah, that's 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 a really good point. I want to shift to something that is, I think, something you're very passionate about, and that's just American talent in general. And I was listening to the last episode of your podcast and talked about, you know, y'all talked about how how that perception has really changed, mm-hmm. you know, around the value of American players in Europe, um, particularly, and it seems like that's accelerated recently. And so I just wanted to give you just a few minutes to kind of talk about that. Um, and if you see that trend continuing... On, on this value of American players in the world market that hasn't really been true for a long time. Yeah, I think that Major League Soccer, we were talking earlier about the business p- component, and maybe more so than any league or, or sport out there, fans, we care about the business, and we are we are knowledgeable about the business. And, you know, it comes from the fact that we don't know if the business is going to be around. Uh, but, you know, when I, when I think about the business of, uh, of American players and domestic players and selling them. And, you know, I, I mentioned Don Garber, the league really made a decision that they wanted to be involved in this market. And uh, they have been, and I think that this is wonderful. But, you know, I often talk about our insecurity as a soccer playing nation and our inferiority complex that we have, and it manifests in so many different ways. Uh, you know, this is, this, is, this is a good time for American soccer, and we should be incredibly proud. What I think is happening is that finally uh, the world is catching up to what the reality has been all along that we have known, is that there's a lot of good talent here, okay, at, at, at different levels. Um, and that talent is affordable. That talent isn't going to cause you problems off the field. That talent is hungry. And that there is a market that is willing and able to uh, to do the deals uh, and to give you because you're just hedging your bets. You're trying to hedge your bets, and I think that the credibility of the individual clubs and of the league and of the sport uh, has has grown. And so you're seeing teams that are going back to the well a couple of times. You know, we talk about what's going on in Dallas, for example, uh, even uh, in in Philadelphia. So yeah, I mean, I'm. I'm incredibly bullish about the future when it comes to more American talent. The interesting thing and the trick now is going to be as, as this continues to happen is at what point does MLS start to recognize and feel the need to start retaining some of this talent? Because if you're going to be the league of choice to use Don Garber's words, you have to also be the league of choice from domestic talent. And you have to give players a reason to want to stay and play in Major League Soccer. And a lot of that reason uh, has to do with money. Not all of it, but a lot of it has to do with money. And so they're going to start to pick and choose as to how they go about uh, how they go about doing that as the ability to play with that market and to be part of that market increases and the value of these players continue uh, to increase. And they're going to have to drive some hard bargains too. You can't just give them away uh, for nothing going forward. But right now it's, it's great. I love, 
the fact that all the players are, are doing so well at some really big clubs and some really big, uh, big leagues. But like I said, I think, I think we've had talent all along. I just think people, I think it's more acceptable now to sign American talent. Uh, I think it's easier now to sign American talent. And, but I think the characteristics and the attributes of the American player, I don't think they've changed a whole lot to be quite honest with you. Yeah. I, I think just mentioning like the world waking up to what's available in the U S I think someone like Weston McKinney could never play another game and would still have made like been one of the most influential people on American soccer and kind of like the being an ambassador for the, the talent that exists in America and people trusting that they can buy a player like that on one of the biggest teams in the world and play them just like what he's done for that, I think is, is huge. And just, um, yeah, I, I, I think you're, you're definitely right that that's something that teams are realizing now and that they're going to go back to that well over and over now. But what will be, what will be interesting is you mentioned Weston McKinney and obviously Weston McKinney, even though he started in major league soccer in terms of development, he never actually played in major league soccer. If Weston McKinney had continued to go on and to play in major league soccer, he may still be the same quality, talented, talented player, but the way that not only he's viewed maybe from the outside, but the way that we view from view him from the inside would be very, very different. And that's the, that's the job. And that's the, the challenge of major league soccer is to be able to change those hearts and minds, both internally and externally. So that when this talent is being assessed, it's not downgraded simply because it plays in MLS. Um, and, and that the credibility and obviously the, the value is seen, not just by the people that want to buy that talent, but also by the people internally that are looking at it and saying, look, that player that plays at Juventus is a great American player, all right? And that player that plays for Austin or plays for uh, Dallas or plays for New York or anybody else, that's a good player too. They're just playing in, in, uh, in, different, uh, in different leagues. And, you know, that's, that's, that's always been you know, things that I've thought about is how do we start changing the, the, the perspective uh, and how do we start winning those hearts and minds, not just of, of people overseas, because I think we're starting to do that, but also of people here in the United States and in Canada. Yeah, we, uh, I have one, another question that's a little bit off topic, sure. but we were talking to some friends of ours told them we were going to interview you. And, and we said, well, what, what should we ask Alexi? And obviously a lot of the questions were soccer questions, um, but your love of rat came up. Well, your love of hair metal and your love of rat. So, can you can you explain to us what it is what is it about rat that makes him like uniquely your favorite? So we, we don't pick our favorite bands. They often pick <laughs> us. They're you know they're they're kind of like uh, like children, right? Um, so rat for those that don't know, it's spelled R A T T, and it's a, uh, a successful uh, '80s metal band, hair metal. Uh, however you want to uh, define it genre wise. And oftentimes the, your, your favorite bands hit you at a moment when you are often open to being impacted. And so it hit me at the perfect moment. I was 12, 13 years old. I, I vividly remember, uh, you know, it was at the start of MTV. And so you saw the video and you, you know, in my little suburban existence uh, in Detroit, and them with this, you know, sunset strip type of hedonistic existence, it was everything 
that I was not. <laughs> and, uh, and I loved it. I loved the sound. I loved the look, the brand, all of that kind of stuff. And so it, it hit me at a time. And, you know, I'm 50 years old right now. And I still will tell anybody that Rat is my favorite band. Now, look, I my the spectrum of music that I listen to is all over the place. But Yes. And, you know, there's a whole generation now that has no idea who Rat is, or they maybe saw them in the uh, Geico com commercial or something like that. <laughs> but it's, uh, you know, you, you, you don't, we don't pick them. They, they pick us. And there's something, like I said, both the, the audio part and the visual part um, that was that, that planted that, that seed and it, and it grew and grew and grew and it's never left me. So they, so they came a little bit later, but for my wife, that band is Skid Row. Oh, of course. Um, she loves, yeah, loves that. And when I think Sebastian Bach did a tour, it was the Bring Em Bach Alive tour. Oh. You know, like 20 <laughs> years later, and we had to go see him. And she was just, it was so, like she was 14 so Sebastian again. It Bach, was amazing. Sebastian Bach, one of the great voices in uh, in in metal and, uh, and, and hard rock uh, over the years. I remember Sebastian Bach once uh, came to a Metro Stars game. I was playing for the New York Metro Stars back. And... Um, so, you know, I got to meet him and tell him how, you know, influential and, and how much I loved. I mean, you know, not just the first album, but Slaves to the Grind is just still one of the great metal albums. And, and what an incredible evolution and growth from first album to second album. Uh, anyway, uh, I, digress, I digress a little bit. You know, I, we went, I remember being out in, uh, uh, I went to see Sebastian play at a club in New York City and Ace Freely was there. And it was just like, I was in absolute heaven hanging out. And Sebastian Bach's like 6'5". I mean, and with the hair, probably 6'6 six, six, uh, back then. But, oh my God, uh, the, the Skid Row impact and all, all of those different bands. They, they get, they're off maligned uh, because of the aesthetic and everything. But the musicianship, uh, when it comes to, you know, the players that they had, the, uh, the songwriting, the production, uh, all of that kind of stuff, it got blown out when when grunge came through. But I think if if you look at, like I said, the talent um, and the way that those songs were produced, um, it, it's it's it it bears a second look and maybe even a third look. I I really dislike most hair metal music, but I uh, I'm not gonna talk too much trash because when I was like 12 or 13, I was listening to a lot of uh, Limp Biscuit and Lincoln Park, and so I don't think I have much room much room to criticize anybody there. But. Hey, listen, but you know I, I and it's all over, like I said, it's all over the spectrum. So I would list, be listening to Rat over here, and then I would put on Air Supply or Zeppelin over here, and then I'd put on Kajagoogoo and Duran Duran over here or uh, ACDC and Skid Row over here. And then I'd be listening to the Indigo Girls or John Cougar, uh, John Mellencamp uh, and Tom Petty. So it was, it was all over the map uh, when it come, when it came to music. And so, you know, it's, and, and it, like I said, it's timing, you know, especially when you're in the, your teens and it's, it's so formative in everything and the relationships you have and the bands that you have. And I don't know if, the, and I sound like a grumpy old guy here, but I don't know that people necessarily have those connections and that, that bond that we used to have with music and musicians and bands and albums that came out and all that kind of stuff in the, in the, the streaming and the single world that we now, that we now live on. But maybe it's more, actually, to be, to be honest, maybe it's much more that type of old school, traditional type connection is much more involved when it comes to our, our sports and our teams and stuff like that. So who knows? And they're brands in and of themselves. Um, before we wrap up here, I just want to thank you again. You're always very generous with your time and, um, 
it's it's very obvious there's someone who loves American soccer and want it to grow and to be the best that it can be and and I'm always very um very grateful for the time that you spend promoting that kind of stuff uh, on podcasts like this where you don't have to take the time to do it like you don't have to take this time to come be on our show but you always you always do it and you're always very gracious with gracious with your time so thank you for uh, that that's, and that's very um, before I, like, before we finish up I, I, I just, just wanted I, to just let me say but because I can't let that compliment go uh, it's it's I I guess I don't have to do it, but I want to do it. I mean, I love this. I love talking about the game that I love, especially in the country and the countries that, when it comes to Major League Soccer uh, that I love. And you, you guys, what you are doing is as important as anybody that's kicking a ball because this is La Cosa Nostra. This is all our thing, and we're 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 doing this and we're growing this. And look, I know, you know, I I I have my opinions, and and people agree and they disagree and they vehemently disagree and they call me names and, <laughs> at, at different times too, but. The reality is that ultimately this is a family. It's a growing family. And, it, you know, families are like that. We're dysfunctional. We scream and yell at each other. But also when, when people from the outside try to come in, um, you know, we, we can be very protective. And we want to make sure that that tent is as open and inclusive as possible. And we're bringing as many people in as we possibly can. And so whether it's you guys doing that or anybody kicking a ball, whether it's an old guy like me or a new person coming up, uh, it, it's all about this game and growing this game. And it's a wonderful game. Uh, you're going to, you know, I'm not telling you anything you don't know, but I, I, I'm, as my 50 years, the things that I've learned, I think that you are going to discover things about the game through this team that you didn't even realize. And that's a, that's a good thing because I think it's going to give you a whole nother, uh, a whole nother way of looking at the game and a whole different color pattern of the game uh, in the way that you look at it on the field and off the field. And that ownership that I saw from the first day that I was there, I think it's only going to grow stronger and stronger. And you're going to bring more people into the tent, even people that don't even know a whole lot about soccer. And you got to embrace them. And you got to make sure that they feel that this is something for them and that they can learn and that they are part of that family. And the last thing in the world that we ever want to do is to put up any type of barriers to entry when it comes to soccer. Yeah, you may have just covered it all, but I was going to see if you had any any other parting thoughts for Austin FC fans as we enter this inaugural season. So is, are there anything else you want to add to what you just mentioned? Um, no, I mean, I, I, I will say that, that you should... I, I, for lack of a better word, you, you should demand that your team be competitive. I think it's really easy when a team comes in to just say, well, we're new and we're just trying to figure it out. And yes, this is this is a, a growth type of process and you're going to get better and better. But this is also a competitive environment and competitive on the field with what's going on, competitive off the field with the environment that you are creating around, not just in the stadium, but in the in the city. And you're going to have visitors um, and you should, you know, you should want to be successful and you should, yeah, I'm going to use it, demand to, at the very least, like I say, be, uh, be competitive because I know, and I'll just, I'll reiterate one more time. No league in the world allows you to be competitive faster and easier than MLS. It's by design. It's manufactured parity. We understand that. And there are some separations going on, but you know, this, this league, you should expect to be be competitive and not be 
embarrassed ultimately by the 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 product that you're putting out there on on the field. And look, I'm going to call it like it is. So if you're good, you're good. If you're if I feel you're going to be good, I'll say you're going to be good. But if you're bad, you're bad. And it's okay. It doesn't mean I don't like you. It doesn't mean I don't like uh, Austin. It's not a wonderful place. Uh, and doesn't mean that I'm not going to keep going, uh, going back there. But you know what my job is. So that, that's what we're going to do going forward. But there's going to be a lot of great moments that have nothing directly to do with actually winning or losing and kicking the ball on the field. But, you know, that's where it all stems from. And uh, there's a whole lot of other stuff that comes with it. Well, thanks so much for joining us again, Alexi. Hopefully one day soon we can all be in a, in a stadium watching some soccer and having beers together. Uh, Amen. Un- Amen. Un- Amen. Until that I know you time guys comes, like to drink I- down there. So, uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. And until that time comes, though, I hope you and you and yours stay safe and sane. And uh, we'll, we'll hopefully see you soon. Thank you. We want to thank Alexi one more time for coming on and uh, and sharing some of his time with us. We'd like to remind you to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We also want to remind you to visit CapitalCitySoccer.com, where Troy Bryant and Zach Mason bring you the latest in Austin FC news, including an article that Jeremiah wants to tell you about. Yeah, so uh, they wrote a very uh, good overview of uh, Matt Beasler's signing and arrival um, in Austin FC, and actually the video that we talked about early in the show. Uh, is linked to in that article. If you have not had the chance to watch that video yet, um, we'll put that article in the show notes and you can check it out there. Next week, we're going to take a kind of a deep dive look into the MLS Super Draft, and we're going to be joined by Travis Clark of Top Drawer Soccer, who's uh, kind of an expert on on that field of American soccer as far as youth and, and college ranks go. So we're really excited to kind of pick his brain on the, the Super Draft. Until then, my name is Landon Cottom. I'm Jeremiah Bentley. We'll catch you next time. Is right.